Welcome to the next episode of Physique Science Radio. This is Sohi Walsh. <laughs> I'm still getting used to saying that. Uh, with your co-host Lane Norton, and we've got a special guest for us with for you guys today. Um, today we have a good friend of mine. He actually does a lot of work with Dan John, and currently is based in the San Francisco area. As you, can say, you can say Oakland. I'm not ashamed. Oakland. Okay. I don't. I don't. Uh, I always say Bay Area because I don't. It's very <laughs> vague. It's vague enough that it's like Northern California. Um, but so you are a sports. Okay. Is it psychiatrist or a psychologist? Uh, I have a master's degree in sports psychology. Okay. Um, which is fancy for for health psychology nerd. Uh, which I think is a really cool field, and it's a growing field, uh, especially within the health and fitness. Uh, realm. So the way that I got to know Steve-O was, I think it was, I think it was like three years ago, wasn't it? I think it might be more than that. Uh, anyway, it was a long time ago and we got connected back when I was in school uh, in California still. So he and I, you know, live pretty close by and uh, it was JC Dean who connected us yep. and we just met for one of your outdoor workouts on the beach, which is really cool. We had a kettlebell kettlebell workout on the beach which i don't know if you're still doing that anymore but it was oh yeah very yeah. different yeah just you just bring you just haul kettlebells around in your car yeah and you do outdoor workouts which is you know i'd never heard of that before i so don't we, think i've worked out inside in well i did it i did some olympic lifting inside but i work out outside all the time yeah, that's the benefit of living in northern california it was great <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I remember we went to a diner after that just to chat oh, yeah. and we talked for, I don't know, two or three hours about the fitness industry and the direction in which she was going. And I, um, you were started talking about this, this habit stuff that, that you're working on now. And, and here we are a few years, a few years later and it's come to fruition, which is amazing <laughs> to see. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been a, a, an odd cir- circuitous route, but yeah. Yeah, doing- but well, I love that you actually stuck with it and, and followed through. Um, so to the readers, or to the listeners, I guess, who are not familiar with you, tell us more about your background, how you came into uh, the fitness industry, or I guess, or the health industry yeah. with this psychology angle. How did you fall into this? Uh, it it came, um, I, mean, I, can't, I started out my, like most people do as a personal trainer. Uh, I was started out working with mostly um, I was a, a Marine officer candidate and I was working with fellow Marine officer candidates. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I fell in love with helping people. I fell in love with training people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'll skip a bunch of steps, but uh, I, when I started working with general population, my very first client that I had a, a long conversation with, like a, that first opening assessment, um, she, was in 80, she was 79 at the time. And she told me that she needed to lose, her doctor said she needed to lose 15 pounds. Okay. And I started telling her all this great stuff that, that we could do. You know, we're going to eat less and move more and squat sure. and all that stuff. And she cut me off and she said, yeah, yeah, I know what to do. I just can't make myself do it. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was a big moment for me because I realized that the only thing I knew how to do as a coach was tell her to do ah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is what most coaches are still doing now. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and that was the moment that sent me to graduate school. When I knew I wanted to go back to graduate school for psychology, um, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with that, but I said, this is the question that I want to go back to school to answer. How do we help people 
actually do the stuff they know they need to do? How do we help people master the how instead of just the what? Like they know yeah. they need to eat less and move more. Yeah. That's not that, the problem. That's perfect. That's that's a great point. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, who who have this idea that there's a magic diet or a solution out <laughs> there. I said, no, we we know what to do. It's always some, every single study is some iteration of, yes, exercise is good, overeating is bad. Yeah. And yet, here we are getting worse and worse. People have that information. They know yeah. that information. It's, it's a behavior change. And for the most part, I mean, we've talked at nauseum about this, Sohi, but we, we don't like typical diets because they're just something that's not completely, they're not maintainable. It's a short-term mm -hmm. behavior change. Mm -hmm. that actually tends to end up leaving you in a worse place. And so uh, we try to focus on long-term behavioral changes. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're not fans of flexible dieting because it's, because, you know, it's sexy or anything like that because it's not really sexy. We're fans of it because it, it kind of, you know, everything is going to require some amount of sacrifice if you want to change. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of people... Uh, the programs they focus on require maximal sacrifice, and we want right. the. You know, I always say I want the stuff that requires minimal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I used to do before I actually did "quote unquote" flexible dieting was if I had a regular population client, I would sit them down and say, "Well, let's see what you eat right now," and mm -hmm. I would try to keep them eating some iteration of that, but find a way to get four or five hundred calories out of it. You know, so. Switching right. from regular soda to diet soda. And then, you know, if they're having, you know, a salad, maybe we can take off the, the full calorie stuff or some lower calorie stuff. You know, take the take some take some of the bacon out of the salad. You know, all that sort of stuff. Like just little things here and there to to add up to a difference. Mm -hmm. Um because again, if you're if you're focusing on what requires the maximum amount of sacrifice, it's just not gonna work because people won't do it. You know, at least this lady Steve yeah. was, was upfront with you about that. She's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's actually why I love working with, with older women. They, they're, <laughs> they're no, that's been my, my, uh, not population of choice, but population of expertise. Like, like that's felt, you kind of just fell into it. I did. And it was, it happened sort of accidentally and organically. <laughs> and then, uh, it, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and change a thing. They're my favorite people to work with. So do you find um, that they're, it, they're more willing to try new things or less stubborn? Oh God, no. They're the most stubborn people. Really? In the world. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I, in fact, if anything, I, well, um, whenever I do, uh, uh, workshops and sidekick with, with Dan John, um, he'll joke all the time about these are the people you need to get rid of. Like these are the clients that are the worst to deal with. And I'll say, and then you should send them to me because that's my favorite. I love the, the, the yeah. difficult population. Okay. We'll um, keep that in mind. Lane and I will keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, and um, Lane, you bring up a good point that uh, Dr. Brian Wansick talks about a lot. Uh, the, he's the author of Slim by Design and Mindless Eating. And he's also the founder of the Cornell Food Lab. Um, and they found that there's about, a, there's a, he calls it a 20% rule. That you can overeat or undereat by twenty percent and not notice, mm -hmm. and and most sustainable diets should be within within that twenty percent range. Um, if you try to go below it, people know that they're in a deficit. They start to yeah. feel it. And oh, but yeah. if you but most people are actually sitting around at a ten percent or so caloric surplus that they're completely unaware of. Yeah, um, this is the and, average. And, Average American you're talking about? Yeah, the average American gains a pound a year. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's also something that I talk about with clients too, is that if you're not gaining weight, you're doing better than average. Yeah. Well, I think, I think let's, I don't want to, like I said, we had, um, uh, we had, so we talked a little bit about, um, you know, kind of mindful eating and, and uh, intuitive eating, which has become kind of a big thing now. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say I dislike intuitive eating because I don't have, I think if somebody can do it, can, can, you know, do that lifestyle and, and really just based on hunger, um, know how much they should eat. I think that's great. Um, I have found that definitely for me, I can't do that. (laughs) Um, and I found that a lot of people, they just, that, you know, hunger is such a complex physiological response. And psychological, um, yeah. Yeah, and psychological and sociological and there's there's yeah, all kinds yeah. of Lots factors. Um that it's just really difficult for most people to be able to say, mm, I'm hungry and, and then be able to, you know, kind of pick out and get within that, even get within ten percent of your 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 um your maintenance. That's gonna be pretty difficult. I think that one of the things one of the ways that I teach intuitive eating, and I like to think of intuitive eating as as a as a as the goal. It's never, you know, it's like uh, mastering something is is always a journey. Uh, yeah. And being incre- like I, the only 100% intuitive eater I know is my father, and I have been amazed to watch him. Ha- he just knows hunger cues, and he has no other relationships with food other than hunger. And I am <laughs> dumbfounded, and know that <laughs> that is just the absolute. Uh, he is unique. But what I work with with clients on a lot is let's get as close let let's do the skills let's learn the skills to get some intuitive eating, but have those checks in place to bring our awareness back to when it needs to be there. Um, let's find the metrics that are either qualitative or quantitative to that remind you, whoa, okay, I've been eating a lot more than I think I have, or right. or something else. Um, but to actively bake those into the process. Um, and even when we do things like food journaling, the goal is to get off food journaling as quickly as possible. Um, but to always know that it's there and to go back to it, it's like, Hey, that's one of the first things that I do personally. Wow. I'm noticing that, uh, you know, I'm not where I thought I was going to be at. First thing I do is start recording what I eat. And that's one of the things that I teach people. Um, but the most important thing that when working with Gen Pop is how to teach people that I that I found um, how to teach people to record what they eat with the same emotional investment that they would write down the number of white cars in the parking lot. <laughs> so just try to be as objective oh, as, as possible is what you're saying. That is great. That's yeah. great because yeah, I, have, I like that. Oh, that's I mean that's pretty. I pretty much use food recalls because I find that. You know, for a lot of people, especially the population I work with, you talk about interesting populations that you didn't intend to get there. I would. <laughs> so he what's my population. Probably about ninety five percent high uh, level meta- competitors. Meta- metabolism trashed out. Yeah. Uh, bikini competitors. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I get people who, you know, if you just did a, a Harris Benedict calculation for their for their metabolic rate or maintenance calories, it's going to mm-hmm. be they're it's going to predict way over what it really is. And so I had them do food recalls, but they, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll, uh, they'll underreport, you know, and I have to, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I'm eating, you know, 90 grams of carbs a day and 30 grams of fat. And, you know, and they say they gained a pound this last week. And I'm like, I'm like, 
honey, if this is true, then we really got problems. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, but, and that's uh, another hard thing that, that we know from um, psychological studies on, on, on food reporting is that everyone underreports. Yeah, Even 50%. registered dietitians who are weighing and measuring their food underreport by 13%. Yeah, and if yeah. we're trying to get within ten percent, then we're going to have to be doing a lot more than just rely on the on <laughs> on self-report data. Yeah, and what I try to do is actually is use a little bit of my limited knowledge of psychology. I'll tell them, "Hey, look, if if you're eating more and you're you're you know maintaining your weight, this is actually a good thing. This means that you're going to be able to eat more and lose weight. You know, totally. Like, yeah, this, this is a good thing. Like <laughs> the, the worst case scenario is when somebody's telling me they're eating 1,100 calories, can't lose weight, and they're they're not lying. You know what I mean? That's right. yeah. That's the worst yeah. thing that can happen. Uh, but I think that's interesting. All the points you brought about intuitive eating, and I found for me, I guess the, like the the best balance I've struck is kind of like 50 percent between flexible dieting and intuitive eating. So I will mm-hmm. track when I can track, and then like this, you know, this week I'm I'm on vacation with my family. Um, you know, if I go out to eat or something like that, I'm not going to go, oh my God, I can't track. So I'm just going to eat whatever the hell I want. Mm-hmm. I look at it and I say, you know what? Eh, okay. This probably has about 35 grams of protein, about 50 grams of carbs, about 25 grams of fat. Am I going to be dead on? No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. But even food labels have a 20% error ratio. Totally. It is. And yeah, so it is. as long as I'm eating mindfully, you know, am I going to, I do a very good job. I went on a Last year, I went on a, um, uh, a three and a half week uh, seminar tour of Australia and had, you know, had to eat out every single day. And I came, back from, yeah. I came back from Australia and I was two pounds lighter, mm-hmm. you know, and, noticeab- and noticeably leaner. That's so actually I- a really uh, common experience. About a third of people who go on vacation lose weight. Um, yeah, it, it, it breaks down by thirds. Um, a third of people lose weight, a third of people gain weight, and a third of people nothing changes at all. And it seems like from a behavioral standpoint, the third, the, the third of people who do lose weight, when they get out of their normal social um, hunger cues and they're forced to rely on a more intuitive uh, uh, understanding of their own hunger cues uh, and have to, go, have to actually work to get food <laughs> a little bit harder than most people, you know, most people graze um, yeah. and, and they have food around them all the time. That those people will mm-hmm. lose weight without really noticing, um, and the same is true for uh, if if you put people on. This is a, a fun study, and I just can't remember where it was from. But I, I keep thinking Stanford, but that's probably because Sophie's talking to me right now. Um, <laughs> it was uh, they well, gave people an insane amount of calories, like a thousand more calories per day than their Harris Benedict equation would say that they needed, cool. and the same numbers happened. A third of people, uh, sorry, uh, two-thirds of people gained weight. A third of people did not. Mm. And it turns out that a third of people who did not intuitively increased their... Their uh, need. Uh, their need, exactly. Yeah. It yeah. was their need. I think that, I remember reading about that too. Yeah, that's so yeah. much. Oh, of, and neat. So for the listeners not familiar with neat, neat is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is essentially the energy that you burn when you're not actually doing formal exercise. So like walking your dog, I, I guess that technically counts as neat if you're not doing it as exercise, yeah. Um, yeah. mowing the lawn, stuff like that. That all counts as but neat. But also that's, things like twitching your yeah. like yes. foot. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting uh, that you bring that up, Steve-O, because when I was doing that seminar tour, I was doing seminars all day. Yeah. And so... 
I oh, got that's out of, exhausting. Yes, yeah. And I got out of my normal I mean, I'd I'd go five hours without eating and it's like, okay, I gotta eat something, you know, and then I'd go train. And so, you know, my I think my meat definitely was elevated while yeah. I while I was over there. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, and then I I find the opposite type of personality, like in terms of um especially people who are really restrictive and need and need structure in order yep. for them to be restrictive, in order for them to mindfully eat, they have to be very structured. As soon as they get out of that structure, again, why I don't like set meal plans, mm-hmm. um, they, they're they the type that will gain quite a bit of weight on a vacation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had oh, totally. I've, an extreme and I've had a client come back 15 pounds heavy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. From a week vacation. And I'm wow. like, you know, I'm like, look, you didn't have to be perfect, but. Did, did they you know, breathe at all? Like, did, eh, that's, again, I think like, it's that's, eating the entire time. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's kind of the, um. It's kind of the the mentality of which I've seen a lot amongst competitors of well if I can't be 100% on this program yeah. then screw it I'm just going to do whatever I want and it's like yeah. no that's not that's that's not what we want you to do you know so that's really common even in gen pop um, yes yeah I write a, a a weekly column for my fitness pal which I don't that's a completely different population I mean oh, those yeah. people I mean there's 80 million of them but they're most for the wow, most part yeah there's 80 million users of my fitness pal yeah um and they for the most part are just putting their toe into the idea of change the my fitness pal is one of the first things they're trying mm, um and that is what i who that's the population whom i am writing to for that uh every week and a lot of the stuff that they're they're dealing with is that well if i'm not doing everything i'm doing nothing yes yep and yeah and that's really common for people because they think um, they just see the end result they don't see the process Mm -hmm. they don't see all those stages in between it's all mindset Um, Mm -hmm. yeah and And that's all it's all celebrities telling them oh you got to be all in (laughs) they see you know athlete it's like no they they didn't get to that level work ethic is also practice you know, like yes. you don't just get to an elite level of work ethic the first day, you know. Yeah. And if you and try to do that, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's something that, that uh, a friend of mine says is that the preparation stage is always invisible. And we're never presented with the preparation stage. We're always yeah. presented with the, with the outcome. Yep. Um, and, and it's, it's, frankly, it's a mind fuck. For yes. everyone who's having Bleep. to deal with it, <laughs> no, I lo- do we no, move I, that out? I don't know. <laughs> I love that he curses. That's great. That didn't <laughs> I think that I'm was sorry. our first. No, that, that, I should have asked for permission. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't need permission. That's fine. No, no, that's, you know, it was just funny. Keep going. Are you familiar okay. with uh, Les Brown? You know, no. He's a motivational speaker, but he talks about a. Um, this is, I think, ties right into your point. He talks about a Japanese tree that takes. Uh, you water it every day, and it takes. I think it's five. No, three years to break mm-hmm. the, to actually break the surface of the ground. Wow. No, five years, five years. And once it breaks the ground, within six weeks, it grows 30 feet. Wow. Something like that. <laughs> and so he, he asked the question, um, so was that tree growing for five years or was it growing for six weeks? And everybody mm. says, well, it's five years. Right, but you never even saw those five years. You know what I mean? I love yeah. that. I think analogy, that's yeah. I think that's a really important, you know, people even we call them overnight sensations. What pick anything, whether it be in music or or money or technology. Mm-hmm. No, nah, they they probably put in 10 years of work. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually just wrote a blog post yesterday um, for my website, habitry.com, um, and talking about how we as professionals can help people reframe that thinking. I called it reframing reasonableness. And one of the things that when people come to us, I'm a, I can only imagine your population is like this too because it's, it's a sport. They want to get to that end goal as quickly as possible. I mean, mm-hmm. who Absolutely. doesn't? We, we all do. Um, and one of the complaints that I hear the most from coaches is that no one wants to lay a foundation. No one, everyone wants a quick fix. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, in the post, say they, no one wants to fail. No one wants to do too much too fast or any of that. We just want to have that outcome identity so badly. That desired outcome is what we're looking for. That we often, we don't have any context for the process and what we're doing and see if it's working. And one of the ways as coaches that we can help people see that is by making the process just as sexy as the outcome. Mm-hmm. Is by using the same words that they describe who they want to be. Disciplined, hardworking, smart. To describe the little easy things that we're asking them to do. And I got this from Dan. I got this from Dan John. He told a kid once, you need to have the courage to do the least possible. Whoa. I love that. And Ooh. I just I hope my clients are listening. <laughs> yeah. And I, I took it and ran with it and said, let's use those words to describe just about everything that we're asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Like you need to you need to not not talk about patience, but talk about courage. Not talk about um we're going to do the minimum, but we're going to work smarter instead of harder. Yeah, you know, because it's, we, yeah. it's harder yeah. to do the moderate thing. Exactly. But it, yeah, but it take, I love what you're saying. It takes courage to, to trust that if you stay moderate for long enough or if you're, you know, we just keep at it, then eventually the changes will come. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, the, you know, success, I always say success is a battle of attrition. Um, <laughs> most in, in any endeavor. So most people who um, succeed in something, they just hung around longer than everybody else, uh, and life eventually yielded to them. You know, um, yeah. if if you're <laughs> if you're talking about because, like you said, people people identify with an outcome, but they don't. I heard a great quote the other day, and I forget who it was, but it, somebody said the um, the will to win is ab- obnoxiously common. Everybody <laughs> has the will to win. Mm-hmm. The will to train to prepare to do what it takes to win is very, very rare. And part of that is the just time investment and duration and just the fact that you're going to, I mean, even in the fitness industry, every, (laughs) this is so funny. I get called out more than most people. I think it's because I'm very passionate about what I do, but I get called out every year and pick your sport, powerlifting, bodybuilding, or just coaching in general. People say, Oh, you know, he's not that great. I'm going to do whatever he's done and more, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. in two years, I don't even hear from these people again, you know, and it's because it's like you guys don't understand. It took me over a decade to get here. It's going to take you over a decade to get there. And when you realize that that's right. not going to happen, most people just quit. So I think we're going to take a break real quick uh, uh, because we need to uh, get our get our sponsors some DAP and then we will uh, we'll come back. I'm actually uh, really enjoying this. Um, I didn't really that's know what to, to expect. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't, I didn't know you real well. I'm well relieved. So. Uh, well, I know Sophie always. Makes I was like, questions. Blaine, I can vouch for him. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So, as you can Good. tell, because I'm talking way too much as usual. <laughs> so, 
Uh, we're going to get back with you guys. You're listening to Physique Science. Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. MyOatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right, 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds. And you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend. And they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made. Or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty, I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey guys, you know me and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber and these are packed with 20 grams of high quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious.
Hey guys, welcome back. I actually wanted to go back to the topic of intuitive eating really quick because I think this is important to discuss. The problem I think that I see with intuitive eating is not intuitive eating itself so much as the fact that it is so misunderstood and misapplied and abused. So it's not you're either tracking your macros or you're following a food plan or or intuitive eating, you're eating anything you want in whatever quantities you want and your, you know, mindfulness has completely gone out the window and you're eating, you know, off the rails, whatever. That is not the case. Um, and this is when I think a lot of people say, yeah, I tried intuitive eating for a little bit and it didn't work for me. I put on 10 pounds. No, that's not intuitive eating. Um, and I think, uh, I know, I know Coach Devo works with that, with, you know, you, you work with intuitive eating a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't, you don't really, you don't do macros. You don't do specific, um, Hardly ever. Right. Which I think is works great for, you know, specific populations. And I think if you find yourself if you find yourself eating junk all day long and your calories are outrageous and you are putting on all this fat, you are not intuitive eating. That's not what it is. Uh Steve O, can you tell us more about what 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 does it actually entail? Uh well, I mean, I think I guess this is a question of semantics. Um, you know, it the the goal of in, the goal of intuitive eating is the same goal of of counting macros, right. the same goal of everything. It's yeah. to eat 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 in an energy balance or a caloric deficit um, or caloric surplus if that's what you want to do. Uh, but it's to do it without. <laughs> uh, I like to call it by eating food instead of counting food, um, and. It's still the way that I teach intuitive eating is still a collection of behavior. Uh, I, I teach it in a habit-based way. We work on things one habit at a time, so that people learn uh, different little by little experiments to learn how they can uh, do it, how to eat without thinking in the most efficient way possible. Um, and I like to think it, of it as uh, well, I'm reaching for a metaphor here. Um, from back from the number of times I've explained this uh, is okay. You're driving. You're driving home from work. You probably are going to notice the fact that you're driving a handful of times. Like, it, driving is a complicated activity, but we've done. It, it, everyone who drives frequently drives enough times that you can probably do other stuff while you think about it. And for the most part, you make it home okay every single time. Mm-hmm. Um. Our goal with intuitive eating is is to is to get the number of habits installed so that that drive becomes as easy as possible. You're still going to have to keep your hands at ten and two, make sure you're within the lanes. You're going to notice it. You're going to notice the fact that you're driving pretty much every time you get in the car. But you're going to make it so easy that you don't think about it so much that it doesn't become a big deal. Does that make sense? That's the way I like to think of intuitive right. eating. Right. So essentially, intuitive eating versus macro counting or whatever you want to do, they mm-hmm. have actually more in common than not. Way more. Yeah. Way more. Which in I common. think is the misconception out there is that they're opposites. Yeah, yeah. As usual in most things in fitness, this is not the answer is not either or. It's yes and. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's both. Yeah. Um. It, it's look. Everything's pointing in the same direction, which is you need some awareness of what you eat. How you get that awareness mm-hmm. is going to be different for different people. And there's not 
a better I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb. There's not a better answer. There's just the one that works better for you. Mm-hmm. And it takes some experimenting to get that right. And it takes, you know, it's another thing I'm going to steal from Dan. Sometimes it takes a lot of screwing up before you realize that reasonable is a pretty good answer. <laughs> I think that's the case for a lot of people. They bounce from one extreme to another for years and years and years, and finally they realize, hey, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Or at all. It has never worked for me. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's another reason I love working with older people. I can ask, how many diets have you tried? And they can list 60 that they've tried in the last decade. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, that's go talk to a a six-year-old woman and start asking her to name diets that she's been on. They, you'll hear stuff you'd never from the from the seventies that you're like that was a thing. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was a thing twice. It came back in the nineties. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's funny amazing. I'll I'll hear people do that. And they'll talk. I, I've had people tell me what diets worked for them and what diets didn't work for them, etc. I said, no, 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 none of them have worked for you. You're yeah. here now talking to me. Yeah, they yeah exactly. Said, yeah. What, what do you What do you mean? I said, well, did you keep it off permanently? No. Well, then they all failed you. Okay, this is something I try to emphasize in my talks to people. It's like, you know, because some people will, you know, when we talk about flexible dieting or intuitive eating, they'll say, well, Lane, what about this obscure physiological outcome marker that, you know, has been shown to be better if you eat, you know, whatever, all vegetables in your diet. You know, that's <laughs> And uh, I'm making something up, but, you know, this is. No, I've, you're not, though. That's the thing. I've had these, I've had these <laughs> debates. You know, you, I'm sure you've had them, too. Oh, I totally. Said, that's great. It, it, it means absolutely nothing if you can't adhere to it. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. It's None worthless. of this does. It's yeah. worthless. It, the best diet is the one, for, especially for the average person, the best diet is the one you can stick to and be consistent with. That's it. Yeah. That I, is the number one. If you look at the NHANES data, which is mm-hmm. data from, from people who basically lost weight and kept it off for, I think, at least five years. Yeah. And they had to lose a significant amount of their body weight. Uh, the number one thing is consistency mm-hmm. and then self-monitoring. Those are the number one and number two things. That's it. So yeah, yeah. it's all about That's, making it a lifestyle. That is. And one of the things that I tell clients when they go off on that jaunt of think, of optimal thinking is what, yes. we, what I call it, is yes. let, why don't we screw optimal and think probable? Yes. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, let's think about what you're most likely to do. Instead of what would be the best thing to do. And maybe we'll get to optimal. Yes. I have personally never met someone who's there. But um, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe you're the unicorn that gets to, op- to, to optimal. But why don't we get through probable first? Yeah. I mean, I do that even with training with people. As I've had people, you know, I had one lady who told me, she's like, I, I know that it's not, quote unquote, optimal uh, for muscle mass. And she wanted to gain muscle. But the only program, this is years ago before, but I still worked with mostly gin pop. And mm-hmm. it's like, the only thing I like to do is CrossFit. It's the only thing I enjoy. I said, well, then do that because it's better than you not, than doing a program that you hate, that makes you miserable, that you don't want yeah. to end up not adhering to, you know, like for me, you know, for example, people will ask me, well, Lane, so you just go into the gym and do whatever you want, or you just eat whatever you want because you can stick to it. No, I, <laughs> I actually enjoy the process. Yeah. I enjoy the process. So I eat, I'm, I'm happy when I eat, even when I diet for shows, although parts of dieting are not fun. And to mm-hmm. get to that level of body fat, there are times where you will feel uncomfortable and it will not be fun. 
but overall the process is still fun or I wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. Um, and, and, and then also this idea that I'm sure you've had to have this conversation with clients that, um, you know, I, I put a status up the other day, I, you know, just cause you have a six pack doesn't make you healthy. In fact, yeah. some of the most unhealthy mm-hmm. people I've ever met had fantastic physiques. That's but, the, the most unhealthy I've ever been personally is with a six pack. Like yeah, I was, and, and my friends had an intervention for me. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was lean enough for shows, I looked great. I felt like, I mean, even though I did it with flexible dieting and, you know, I didn't go to any extremes or anything like that, you're that low of body fat, you're not going to feel good. Most people aren't going to feel good. There are Most of the few time. exceptions. It's going to yeah. hurt, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to, and that's, again, if that's an outcome that you are shooting for and that's a short-term thing, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, this idea that if you don't have a six pack, you won't be healthy is crazy. You know, I've had, <laughs> I've had, I had a, a female client a, a while back. We were working on kind of, quote, for lack of a better term, rehabbing her metabolism after um, years of yo yo dieting. And she was probably 15, 20 pounds above stage weight. And she kept saying, I just want to be healthy again. I just want to be healthy again. And I said, mm-hmm. Oh, you had to unpack st- that, didn't you? When, when you were stage lean, you, were ha- you had episodes where you passed out. Um, you were eating 800 calories a day. You were doing two hours of cardio. You were miserable. You had, you know, not to bring this up, not to be gross, but you know, no sex drive. Your nope. period was gone. Um, you know, all these different things. Let me ask you right now, how's your strength in the gym? How's your relationship with food? Mm-hmm. You know, all these sorts of, how, what's your, and your, your endocrine system was way off when you were that lean. How is it now? You know, and so, and yeah, exactly. I unpacked it logically. And she really didn't have an answer for that. You know, she's, I was like, look, if you want to get leaner, that's fine. But stop implying you aren't healthy just because you aren't shredded. That's a really good way of unpacking that. Um, a lot of people use words that they don't even recognize their own power when they're using them. Um, and they don't even realize that they mean something else when they're saying it. Mm, yeah. And as soon as you start asking them open-ended questions about, hey, what do you mean when you say healthy? <laughs> it, mm-hmm. you, you start to see the mental gymnastics that we all do. This is a cognitive bias on all of our parts. Um, and when, when you hold up a mirror to that for just a little bit, you'd be really surprised what happens. And that's actually one of the reasons I love working in groups. I stopped doing one-on-one coaching years ago when I realized how much faster and better groups were for getting that job done. Interesting. Um, uh, and that's one of the I – just, I just wrote a book about this called We Make Communities, about why working in intentional communities is just better. Uh, it was also happened to be my, what I worked on in grad school. Like this is my area of expertise. But the, when you get a bunch of people together and they all start talking to each other, and, and they're, especially if they all have the same mission, um, and they all start talking to her and they see each other using words, they'll start calling each other out on those words. Be like, whoa, whoa, what do you, what do you mean by healthy? Because this is what I mean. Oh, and and you yeah. start seeing that stuff. And if they're all on the same mission, it happens in a very organic, friendly, kind way. Um, but it still forces people to see it. And the other thing that happens that is beautiful and wonderful to watch. And this ha- and when I started helping Josh Hillis work in groups instead of one-on-one, he said it was a thing that he noticed immediately is everyone thinks they're special. 
everyone thinks they're unique yeah. and, and that they're they're screwed up in a special unique way <laughs> but when you get them all together in a room the first thing they realize is oh wait i'm normal and they get yep. over it immediately and they go oh you've done that too what do you do and then they all start coaching each other and then you can just move on josh said it was the hardest thing he ever worked on with individuals was how to get them to feel normal and then all it took it was sticking them in a group of 39 other people and suddenly they realized they were normal within about 10 minutes that's I, I, so yeah i really like that that's so true we've had that uh, experience with our reverse dieting uh closed group so he as well oh my as goodness. my as well as Team Norton, uh, the Facebook page, um, mm-hmm. people go, "Oh my God!" You know, I, I I get this all the time. I thought I was the only person who had this happen to. It. It's like, no, your <laughs> is, is pretty standard. You know, it's pretty so, standard. Yeah, yeah, there's, exactly. There's some stuff around the edges, but for the most part, when you get people all in a room, the middle eighty percent take care of take care of themselves. Exactly, and that, that's interesting that you bring about group coaching because I. I had never really thought of it that way, to be honest with you. Um, you know, having the closed Facebook page, I have found actually saved me a lot of time because, um, you know, a lot of clients would, would, would answer questions that people had had and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So it's very interesting that you, you bring that up. Well, the stuff that we teach people to do at Habitry is how to optimize for that, is how to go in with that being the goal. Hmm. Uh, and how to go in with the idea of being, I'm going to teach people to coach each other so that I can focus on the things that I need to focus on as a coach that only I can do. And I'm going to help them do that stuff for each other. And the result is, I mean, on my best days, you can read about in the book, but when I was coaching 120 people at a time in, four, in three groups of 40 uh, with another couple, reaching another couple thousand people with uh, stories and content marketing and stuff like that, but only working about... 45 minutes per week with to do that. Wow. This is very uh I know it's good for a you know behavior change standpoint too, but this is very business savvy. Also <laughs> very yeah. business savvy. Entrepreneurs pay attention. Coaches pay I'm, attention. I'm sure so he is gonna be texting me. I'm like Lane, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so he yeah. always takes it remind me how inefficient and dinosaurish <laughs> I am. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and technology is a part of it. I mean, I was doing this in Facebook groups. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I may, I, in the book, I talk about making communities anywhere. You can use this stuff. I mean, this is the most powerful forces in social psychology is making groups, is making community. And you can do this whether you're working with people one-on-one in a gym. You can, if you've got two clients, you have a community that's there. You can also yeah. can do it if you own a gym. I mean, frankly, you should be. Uh, and you can be doing it online. It, 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 if you st- make an effort to take the people that have the same problems and get them talking to each other and make a safe space for them to be excited, mm-hmm. all this stuff happens. It's magical, except it's totally not magic. It's totally social psychology. But it's, it's, it's stuff we've known for millennia that, frankly, people, don't, people rarely change themselves. But That's communities true. change people ah, all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's take a quick break. And I want to come back to it. Because I actually want to ask you, before we get done with this, I want to ask you uh, so, some stuff about how our how our viewer or how our listeners can take some of your knowledge and, and use it to help them with their own adherence to their own plan. So let's take a quick break. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll come back. You guys are listening to Physique Science Radio. 
Hey guys, one of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohee Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohee's website at sohifit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. All right, welcome back. Before we move forward, I want to talk to Steve-O. I know he mentioned a number of times, habitry this, habitry that. But what, I mean, I, I know I'm familiar with what habitry is because we've talked a lot about it before in, in um, separate conversations. But what really, what what is habitry? <laughs> uh, habitry is my company. Um, and habitry is uh, a collection of coaches. And, and we put out articles, books, and we make summits. Uh, all about helping people uh, in the other 167 hours that they're not with their coach, um, and it's specifically for coaches, uh, and that's the that's the the population that that we work with, and we put on a motivate summit where there's three of them every year now. Uh, the next one is in Oakland on June 27th and 28th, and that's where a bunch of coaches are going to come together and talk about behavior change, habits, making communities, and all that other awesome stuff that <laughs> really impacts client behavior. Um, and we also just put out a book called We Make Communities that is my story about how I found these most those, these super powerful forces in social psychology and started applying them to uh, coaching. Um, and yeah, that's that's what we do. We also work as a, uh, on a as an, in a consulting basis with coaches who are creating group coaching programs, and we develop techn- technological tools for them. And uh, I need your help. Interventions. Yeah, you need, you need to help me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and if anyone's interested in that, they can go to habitry.com, habit r y, habitry.com, and we also put out articles, free articles, a couple times a week, uh, in addition to this other. The, the, the paid products. So check it out, habitry.com. Very cool, very cool. Um, so I think this has been pretty interesting in terms of um, like talking about the, the group aspects of things. Um, we've talked a lot about, I think kind of the central theme of this has been, um, in, in, if I, maybe I'm off, but I would say kind of learn how to enjoy the process and stop mm-hmm. And try not to focus so much on the end goal, mm-hmm. but what and and also um, you know that consistency and adherence is the, the biggest variables that people just don't they're the most important things and, and most people just don't get it right. Um, so what are some what are some tips that you use, um, or maybe some things that you've noticed that tend to help people in terms of telling them something and it clicks in terms of adherence or in terms Ooh, great of great question um, yeah. in terms of. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be it right there. 
or in terms of enjoying the process? Like, what are some, so like when I, when people lift with me, I try to give them cues on a squat or a deadlift. And sometimes I'll say something and you see the light bulb go off. Do you have a few mm-hmm. things that like, sometimes you'll say it and just the light bulb will go off? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to use a lot of metaphors. Um, that I, that's generally how I communicate with clients. Uh, but honestly, the most powerful tool that I ha- that I have is questions. Um, asking weird questions is mm. one of the things that I use use with clients. Um, metaphors are good for explaining, but asking weird questions are good for getting people to become aware of stuff on their own. Um, and the, these 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 types of questions work for yourself as well. Uh, you don't you don't you don't need someone with a background in psychology to ask you the questions. You can ask them yourself. Um, one of the, the most common things I get when I'm doing an assessment with someone is uh, most people will ask how many, what vegetables do you eat or, or are you eating vegetables? And people will nod and say, of course I eat vegetables. Mm-hmm. But a little trick that I learned, um, is, and then again, I think I'm stealing this from Dan John is how many colorful vegetables do you eat? Throwing the word colorful into mm-hmm. that. Re- makes people think about the question in a completely different way. They go, whoa, what do you mean by colorful? Mm-hmm. And then you give, A, it gives you a chance to say why colorful vegetables are important, but it also gets them to think about things that you know aren't french fries that are vegetables. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I, a lot of, you know, the, the USDA thinks that french fries are a vegetable um, and tomato <laughs> sauce is a vegetable. So getting like asking things in a weird way um or or being blunt and for for example uh instead of asking how much weight do you want to lose say what number on the scale will make you smile oh that's interesting and do you think that changes the way that they think about it i think it it uh by asking them the question you immediately associate or getting them to associate the fact that they associate scale weight with happiness. Yep. And by making them actively think about that connection instead of it just being assumed, you can get them into the process of thinking, maybe there are some other ways that can make you smile that don't involve scale weight. So you're, you're pretty much getting them to actively question that relationship. Yes. The idea that if I weigh this number, then I will be happy. Yes, but you're trying to get them to do it in their own brain instead cool. of you doing it, which can make them defensive. Yes, so yes. it's way better than asking, why do you think scale weight will make you happy? Because their first response is probably going to be, screw you. It, yeah. but if it's you like because you're, you're questioning them. You're like going against them. Yeah. Right. One of my goals, and this is a thing that I learned in my 1,200 hours of supervised counseling skills, is um, not to use why very often. Why makes people defensive. Questions mm. that start with why get people defensive. Why? So you you said come, why? Yeah, yeah, why? Okay. So you got to come up with new and fun ways to use who, what, when, where, and how when you really want to just know, why the hell are you doing that? <laughs> mm. So instead, um, of asking why, instead of asking why do you want to weigh a certain weight, well, what number on the scale will make you happy? So you, this, this is interesting, Steve. You're actually making me like realize. So the only time <laughs> I, I, I complain a lot about arguing with them, I call them food zealots. Yeah. Um, so some people join a you know religion or some people join a gang or they you know get full body (laughs) tattoos or a neck tattoo or or you know shave their head or whatever and some people become food zealots Um, totally and and so um i'll get some people who for example you know the idea that the the toxicity makes the doses a completely 
you know, they, they follow food, babe, and that's like their Bible. And, um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, but, uh, you know, instead of why, instead of asking why, instead of being combative, the only time I've gotten somebody to change their opinion on those kinds of views where like, for example, I had somebody say, there is no way I will ever believe that, 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 you know, aspartame can be safe in any dose. And I'm, I'm like, so I, instead of, instead of, instead of being combative with them, I kind of led them logically down a road to where their only possible outcome was them to realize I'm being completely irrational, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, once you, yeah. So, so that's, that's the only way I've ever had success. And even that doesn't always work, but, no. uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, one of my favorite things was, uh, you can't reason somebody out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Um, Actually, and, I don't and there's a totally there's true. another version of that that I think is really important for working with clients is you can't teach something to someone who they you can't teach something that someone thinks they already know. So if yes. people are coming to you for a diet, but they think they already know what the diet should be, the first thing you have oh to do God. is yes. unteach them that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the best uh, way to do that is with questions. I feel yeah. like that's probably one of the hardest parts for me when I get a client who comes to me saying, oh, I know this works for me, this is what works for me, and this that doesn't work for me. That is the hardest client for me to work with. Yeah. yeah I, I actually don't work with them. <laughs> They're like, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, and then they come to me. That's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, but that's, I mean, you got to know kind of, not to stone cold you, but know your role, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. I, I'm, and uh, I think I, I'm a big advocate for finding your population. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And finding the people with the problems that you're uniquely qualified to solve. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it goes even beyond niche because, I mean, I don't use the word niche because when I say that to coaches, people think, oh, I'm limiting my options. And it's saying, no, you're finding the people you're most likely to help so you can find the most of them. Yes. Cool. And, exactly. And that's, Something that I it takes the coaches a long time to it takes a lot of screwing up before you realize that you're new, you could qualify for something and it might not be what you thought it was. Uh, I, I got into this business thinking I was gonna be uniquely qualified to help marine officer candidates pass the physical fitness test, and uh, <laughs> turns out not so much. I'm uniquely qualified to help, um, to teach coaches how to uh, ask open ended questions. That seems to be the thing that I'm uniquely qualified to do. Um, that's and, great, though. I mean, uh, even coaches need coaches. I mean, I, yeah, I, it's it's. I think this idea that, and Sohi, you can probably vouch for this. Mm -hmm. Like people think that, oh, Lane has all these people that have had success under him. If I follow that blueprint, I am going to have success, and that's not always the case. Um, I had a client a few weeks ago. I could just tell two weeks in, it just wasn't going to be a good relationship. I don't mm. think he's a bad person. Mm. I don't think he's a bad person. I, I'd like to think I'm not a bad person, but I saw him. I was like, look, this isn't going to work. Okay. Um, I know that I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I, I don't think there's anything like that. It's just that we're just like sometimes two people can be good people and they shouldn't get married. Um, two <laughs> people can be good people and they shouldn't be a coaching client relationship. And there's, there's somebody out there that will fit your, you know, kind of your personality and what you're looking for. But trying to force the issue is a real problem. And that's why I tell people if you're going to hire a coach, like really do a good job interviewing them. As, as so he, you know, so he does my client screenings. We try to really thoroughly screen people just to make sure they're going to be a good fit when they come to meet. 
Yeah, totally. And I think you should put that out even further in your marketing. I think you should say, these are the problems we solve. This is who we work with. This is what we do. Yeah, and I think I like to think of marketing as a filter. And uh. I, don't, I don't use marketing to attract. I use marketing to filter. Because the thing that's actually going to attract new clients is old clients. Yeah. Because they're oh, the yeah. people with that. the actual problems. And they're the people who the problems that I've helped solve. I might not even know what problems I help them solve. But they're going to go tell all their friends with those problems. And they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Warren Bath is the best advertising. No question it, about it. It is, it, and, and marketing for me is just that thing that I put out that says, this is what we do. This is how we do things here. Mm. Um, and if these are your problems, I'll open you with, I'm welcoming you with open arms. Yeah. Um, Almost like a mission statement. Yeah, absolutely. It is a mission statement. Um, and I think I actively encourage people to find that for themselves. And actually, if you buy the book, We Make Communities, I'll give you the five steps to do it right there and the accountability to do it too because um, we have an awesome community of people who are doing just that uh, on, cool. at Habitry. Steve-O, I really like the, the fact that you talked about, and I know when I, when I visited California a few weeks ago and we met for brunch, we talked about this too, the fact that not every person is a good fit for a specific coach. Nope. And, you know, I was asking you about Habitry and how you work with your clients, your fat loss clients, how you help them make change. And I said, well, if I wanted you to help me, how would how would that work? Because I was like, you know, I, I have all these habits already in place. I'm generally, you know, I have a very healthy lifestyle already. How would you further help me? And he said, and you said, you just said, I wouldn't work with you. Yeah. You're, you're not my target population. And I was like, that is, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't offended or anything, but I was like, that's very true. There's sometimes it's just not a good match. Oh, no, I'm glad you were offended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I said the same thing to a coach when I was doing some consulting work for uh, NASM. Um, and that was that six person asked, How would, what would, if you were, if you were, um, if you were working with me, what would you do? I said, I would fire you. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, she has never let me live that down. That's um, Yeah. So she told me about her coaching style. I said, I would fire you in a heartbeat and go find someone else. That isn't to say that you're not a good fit for the people that you work with. Clearly, you're a successful right. coach. It's just you – I think a lot of people don't realize that no one is going to appeal to everyone. Mm-hmm. Or, yep. And we will do so much more effective work and help so many more people, help so many more people if we understand the problems that we're solving and the value that we make for people and for our own clients. And if we go through those steps and learn what it is that we do uniquely that no one else can do, we're going to have more business than you can handle. Exactly. That's, that's beautifully said. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Can you remember a time for that, Toby? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, you guys, we need a moment of silence for this. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's like a very I, rare, rare occurrence. <laughs> uh, well, Steve-O, uh, I think we're running out of time here. But uh, we'd like to give you the last couple of minutes just to, if uh, so, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, is there anything you wanna you wanna kind of um, you know put out there that, that you've worked on? You you talked about your book. Um, mm-hmm. if you have a website or anywhere where people can contact you, that sort of thing, and 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 let them know who your target target population is. So in case they want to work with you, they know not to contact you if they aren't a good fit, or they know where to contact you if they are a good fit. 
<laughs> well, at this point, my target population, the population that I work with is uh, coaches who are looking to uh, help the most people possible. That's um, me. And th that's so he. People like so he. <laughs> so you would help um, me in this regard. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. Habitry, Habitry works with coaches who are trying to um, maximize the amount of people that they want, that they can help. Um, and in order to, if you're interested in doing that, come to Habitry.com. You can check out our book, We Make Communities. That's all about what we do, and that's available. Uh, you can also read all of our 244 free articles. Um, there's a lot of stuff on Habitry.com. And you can subscribe to our newsletter there as well. And if you're interested in meeting the other coaches who are, who are doing this, the other people out there who are thinking this way, check out the Motivate Summits. Uh, Habitry.com slash, uh, slash summit. There are three. There's one. Uh, the next one's coming up in Oakland on June 27th and 28th. And then we have one in Salt Lake City on June, uh, sorry, September. And then we'll be back in New York probably in, 20, in February of 2016. Are you still calling the this an unconference? They are. They're completely unique in the yeah. fitness industry. They are unconferences. They <laughs> are. Um, they they follow three rules, which uh, is the law of two feet, which is if 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 everyone everyone who comes is available, it can talk. You will be given a time and a platform to talk, and if you can ask questions, you can do anything you want. And the idea is that we make we make it a conversation where everyone is talking and trying to figure out this. The answer to the comp the problem we all have as coaches: What about the other 167 hours a week our clients aren't with us? Cool. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we impact that problem? We've been doing enough of these now that we're starting to get some answers. So the one in June will have presentations from four of our uh, members, four of our community members who have got some really cool answers, and you can check out those uh, uh, what those com what those conversations are going to be on. The Motivate Summit website, habitry.com slash summit. It's a really cool event. It's basically all those cool conversations you have at the bar after the gurus are done talking at every other fitness conference. <laughs> that's what we designed it to be. And it's and it's, that's where the best conversations take place. Aren't they? I mean, come on. That's exactly what the, where, <laughs> where they take place. Um, and, and funnily enough, every time we've done one, it's... It's mentally exhausting because of how much awesome stuff happens, but people still keep talking. So we made a forum, uh, the Motivate Forum, for people to keep talking, and now we have 250 members in there. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out, um, you can click on Community on Habitry, and that's where all the awesome coaches keep talking. So there is so much information that I could pimp, but I'm going to probably leave it there. Uh, almost everything I told you is free, so come on to Habitry.com and check it out. Thank you. For being on the show, Stephen, we really appreciate it. You were great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.